Hey, this is Zach from the Vernacular Podcast Network, and I'm so excited to share with you the latest project that we have in the works. It's called Breaking Pod, and it's an episode-by-episode breakdown of Breaking Bad, the TV show. Your hosts will be me and Josh Goldman, current host of the podcast, also on the Vernacular Podcast Network. And every week, we'll be breaking down a new episode of Breaking Bad in chronological order from season one, episode one, to the very end of season five. We'll talk about the best acting performances, the best scenes, we'll play excerpts where we can comment on them. But we also want to talk about the broader themes of this show, because lots of people think of Breaking Bad as a great thriller, and it certainly is that. But I like to think of Breaking Bad as a morality play, or a Shakespearean tragedy that has very important things about the nature of human existence to teach us, like to what depths the human heart will travel to get what it wants, or how our choices affect all of those around us, or how we can very easily be sucked into a vortex of our own decision making, even unwittingly. And that's what Breaking Bad is all about. We ask you to follow along with us. You can watch the show on Netflix and listen to the episodes, and you can find Breaking Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The first episode drops soon. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Zach across the table and Haley Stewart on the other line. She is a podcaster and blogger. She is an author And she is also a mom and a wife and recently came off of a year-long stay at a farm that did not have flush toilets. So how's that for an introduction? (laughs) Holy smokes. We are going to talk to her about that experience and the book that she has written most recently, which is called The Grace of Enough. Haley, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. And just a warm-up question here. How was that experience living without solid plumbing on the farm? It was an experience. It's one of those things that actually sounds worse than it was. Once you get used to it, it's not that big a deal. However, I was potty training a two-year-old at the time. That's incredible. And that part of it was not (laughs) great, to be honest. (laughs) I'm the kind of person who, when people talk about camping, I say, I will go hiking with you, but I will return to my own bed and shower (laughs) and toilet at the end of the day. I don't. Yeah, that's or I, glamping. Glamping, yeah, exactly. It, glamping is a perfect iteration of camping for the twenty first century. <laughs> you can have your cake and eat well, it too. Well, I did not do any of the cleaning out of the non flushing oh, toilets, good. so my husband did all of that. I think it was kind of a sure. I'll move to a no flush farm with you, <laughs> but please don't make me clean out these toilets. <laughs> so a no flush farm. When I hear no flush toilet, I, I mean, am I? Am I picturing like a pail, a bucket, or? Yeah. Well, what, okay. What so there were two different kinds on the farm. Okay. Some of them were, um, it was more like a chute that went down underneath a space. And then that space could be gotten into and shoveled out. Excellent. So you didn't have to deal with that very often, but then you had to deal with a bunch of it at once. So I don't know. And so in our apartment, it was actually like a five gallon bucket with a toilet lid on top. So you could sit down, you'd go in the bucket and then there was sawdust that you would put on top so that it wasn't, wouldn't be smelly. Yes, naturally sawdust, of course. <laughs> the sawdust. first thing I think of when I, <laughs> this... that was the step that really was not my favorite with kids because there's just sawdust everywhere all of the time. Yes. I can imagine. It's like sand. So this is, this is genuine 18th century style living. I I assume the reason for doing this is water conservation. That's right. 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 They're a no flesh farm to cut down on water use. Amazing. It's, I mean, it makes me feel a little bit guilty about using a flush toilet, but I, 
I like my flush toilets. They're great. I love the technology. It's amazing. Off the farm and. So we have a, a little house and we have just one bathroom, but it has a flushing toilet. I felt like I'd like moved into Downton Abbey or oh, something. Yeah. After I was used to the other, the other no a flush luxury toilet. hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's back up a little bit before we hear your whole story. And in the grace of enough, pursuing less and living more in a throwaway culture, that's in the title, throwaway culture. And that is what your book is responding to, um, which is the culture in which we live today, a phrase that Pope Francis coined and has mentioned before and has mentioned been mentioned in, I think, um, non-Catholic media as well. But let's just start off with what is throwaway culture and how does that undercut what it means to be truly human, as we like to say on vernacular? Sure. So once you get a feel for the throwaway culture, you start to see it just absolutely everywhere. So I think it's just a very helpful way to think about things. Um, When Pope Francis talks about it, he's using the term partly to talk about the environment, the the resources and creation and how we use up resources and consume and consume and just throw away what we um, don't want or is not convenient anymore. But it goes way beyond that. He's also using the term to talk about how we view other human beings, how we view relationships, how we view people. We're looking at other people with a consumptive mindset. So we're thinking of them as another commodity for us to use up and then discard when we're done with them. And I think that when you think about our culture through that lens, it's like things that are small and things that are big and serious all kind of fit into that mindset. And it really keeps you from feeling like a human being and treating other people like a human being that's worthy of dignity and attention and time beyond what they can offer you for your personal fulfillment or your um, consumption. And so that's sort of the mindset that he lays out with that term that I think is really, really helpful on a lot of levels. I like your summation quite a bit because it reminds me of the philosophical distinction. You find this in the work of Immanuel Kant, for example, about treating people as ends versus means. And Mm -hmm. when you treat them as ends, you treat people as intrinsic goods who are worthy of respect. And when you treat them as means, you are really just using them to fulfill your own aims or your own purposes. And the throwaway culture to me is emblematic of the latter when you're using people as means, because like you said, you're looking at them as commodities. And so the question is, how can I engage in economic activity such that I acquire more money, even if it's at the expense of my fellow man, right? Or how can I pursue relationships so that I am fulfilling my own wants and desires over and above the desires of the people with whom I am in relationships? Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking for just an example of, um, if you're thinking about a marriage relationship, for in, for instance, in a throwaway culture mindset, you'd be looking at that other person as a way to make you happy or satisfied in some way, that somehow that person is going to benefit your experience of life. Right Now, I think most of us would hope that our spouse does benefit our experience of life, but it 
goes far beyond that, that you would care for and desire their good because they are a person that is worthy of love. And all of that would transcend anything that's focused back inward towards yourself. Um, and I think that that kind of thinking, the throwaway culture thinking is so ingrained in us that it's really, really hard to get out of it. Even just thinking about how we spend our time that, okay, I'm going to spend my time. Maybe I'm going to spend it making money. And with that money, I can then buy things to consume and to get out of that and say, Oh, I'm going to actually just spend time, um, just with a friend, we're going to go on a walk in the woods. That is very confusing to a throwaway culture mindset because there's not really any consumption going on. It almost seems like time wasted according to our economic ideals and like what, where is the, con, where is the consuming happening if we're just actually spending time with someone and going on a walk in the woods. And so I think it's, it's hard to get out of that mindset, but I think it requires intentionally always thinking, well, wait, why do I feel guilty about sitting down and having a cup of tea? <laughs> why do I feel like I need to be doing something else? That is perfectly fine for me to sit here and think and reflect and have a cup of tea and not be producing anything or consuming or you know, buying, expanding my wealth in any way, that just being and thinking that is a good, even if it doesn't fit into the throwaway culture's mindset. Well, and I, I think that I'm certainly not anti-capitalism, and I think that alternative economic systems can lead to very much a similar throwaway culture and treating people as means versus ends. But I do certainly acknowledge that our modern capitalist system has contributed to this throwaway culture. And I can't help but think of the ancient philosophers who considered the contemplative life the highest form of life and thought that sitting there and contemplating life's biggest questions, even if you are not producing anything, is actually a higher form of human activity than being a merchant or a tradesman who is producing things. And I also think of my reading habits. I used to, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I used to not want to read fiction because I thought that I always had to be reading nonfiction to learn more about the world so that I could be more engaged in the world and being, be doing more things in the world. And if I was reading fiction, I would describe it to people as a guilty pleasure. And now I'm of the opinion that no, there's nothing, there's nothing that I should feel guilty about for sitting in a in a chair, like you said, maybe drinking tea, probably in my case, coffee, and reading a mystery novel. There's nothing, am I making myself a more productive citizen or a more productive member of society? No, probably not. But I am, I am doing something that is, I think, fundamentally good and enjoyable, and that's okay. Absolutely. I think that's, yeah, that's a great insight. I think so much of our, you know, the trend of talking about self-care is because we've kind of forgotten that we're human beings and we have to act like human beings who have to like sit down and have a meal with other human beings. And this is all part of the human experience, but it's almost treated as, well, these are like these other things, these self-care things that we have to do so we can keep producing when really I think doing all these things that remind us that we're human beings are kind of the point of life. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of the self-care mantra in that way, but that's a really good point. 
Um, so you guys recognized this throwaway culture as a family and decided to take what some would consider extreme measures to rebel against it. Tell our listeners your story about what what you decided to do as a family and what precipitated that decision. And yeah, just give us the whole the whole story. Sure. So my husband was working an office job that he really, really hated. And he was having to work a lot of hours for us to cover our bills. And we weren't living extravagantly at all, but we were living in a city that had high living expenses. And we just didn't get to spend very much time together as a family. We felt like we were always um, going, going, going and kind of in the rat race. And we realized this, this is really not what we want our life to look like. We want to be able to sit down and have meals as a family and spend quality time together and be doing work that we really care about and isn't just bringing in a paycheck, but is good in and of itself. And so we thought about some different options. We were like, Ooh, we could like buy a farm and be farmers. We're like, we don't have enough money to do that. And we don't know anything about farming. So we just set ourselves up for a huge failure. Let's not do that. Um, and then we remembered that we had a contact with this farm out in Waco, Texas, because we'd volunteered out there when we were in college and they had an internship program for a year where you go and work on the farm and live on the farm and eat food from the farm. And we thought, hey, this would be a really good way to um, kind of reboot our family life and figure out where we want to go from here in our work life and get to spend tons of time together and really reconnect with each other and reconnect with being in the outdoors and God's creation and all of these good things. So we sold our house and most of our stuff because we were moving into a 650 square foot apartment with Amazing. three little kids. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so we knew we weren't going to have a lot of room there and, and we didn't, but there was a farm outside. So there was a lot Lots of, of room space outside, for sure. us. Yeah. There, there's space for us to run around. Um, so yeah, so we went and did the internship and it was a really great experience not without its challenges, but definitely very positive experience for us as a family to, to reconnect. And I think at that time, our oldest was turning six. So we had a six-year-old, a three-year-old and a two-year-old. And I think that it was a really kind of pivotal time for us as a family to be starting to really develop our own family culture and bond together as like a team doing this crazy adventure together. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we didn't, my husband worked at the farm on staff for a while after our internship was over. He's since moved on. He's making whiskey now at a distillery, but it really gave us Amazing. a chance to, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty cool job. So it gave us a chance to figure out what did we want our life to look like? What, what could we bring from our experience on the farm back into life in, you know, a regular house in the city with a flushing toilet? Um, so yeah, that was, it was a great experience. Yeah. And I love how you took you, you took the time to, to think about that experience and then to think how could that apply to every, every other person that might, I might encounter and that might be interested in, 
in um, rejecting the throwaway culture. Um, your book is kind of is laid out in such a great way with talking about different different values and virtues that you were able to draw from that experience: simplicity, hospitality, community. And I love how at the end of each chapter, you've got these practical tips for for implementing those virtues and um, making them a reality, whether you're single or married, um, whether you have kids or no kids. Um, so maybe in addition to giving up flush toilets and living on a sustainable farm, or maybe if you if you feel like that's not something that you can do, share share with listeners some practical ways that they could reconnect with what makes us truly human and to live those more human lives that um, that go against the throwaway culture. Sure. So um, I'll just try to hit some high points for you guys. Um, yeah, I don't want this podcast to, to, be, uh, <laughs> to be a replacement for people reading your book because they should. <laughs> I'll just try to fit the whole book into the next two minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Go. <laughs> um, so I think one of the big things for us was becoming more detached from our possessions by having to get rid of so much of our stuff and in that realize how our stuff was taking a lot of our mental energy and physical energy to maintain and um, that there is this, I think, desire, especially in the culture right now, to like Marie Kondo everything. I think it's because we're swinging back from a very cluttered, um, like the past generation has has been very different about their attachment to possessions than our generation. I think that we're kind of fed up and wanting to not be surrounded by so much stuff all of the time. Right. Um, and I think it's just because the human heart was made for much, much more than acquiring stuff. And so I think that we've kind of reached a point where we've said as a culture, okay, we've done the thing where we collect a lot of stuff and it didn't make us happy. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the other yeah. option? Hence, like Marie Kondo comes in and everybody goes wild because they're like, oh, I feel better when I'm not surrounded by stuff. Surprise, surprise. Um, so I think that's something anybody can take into account. And it really, it's not a everybody should only have 30 books or everybody should only have this many things. But I think a more of um, what is my relationship to my things? Am I attached to my things in an unhealthy way? How can I be um, generous with what I have and detached from my possessions in a positive way? Um, so that would be like a part of simplicity. And I think that a huge thing about being on the farm, you know, we had a little family apartment, but there were other folks living on the farm, some families, some singles, some couples. And we would eat at least one big meal in the middle of the day together. And there were always people coming in and joining us for the meal. And that really highlighted for us how important hospitality is and just taking the time to prepare food and eat food and enjoy food and just sit around talking after you've eaten food with other human beings. Like this is such a big part of being a human person. And there is no substitute for that. And so prioritizing those meals with people that you care about, you know, if you're a family sitting down and having really guarding those family meal times, if you're a single, having a friend over, joining friends to eat, and um, remembering that singles and married couples and families, we all are much happier when we're all spending time together and not just partitioned off into our different season of life groups. 
And so remembering if you're a family, have your single friends over all of the time. If you're single, you know, invite families to hang out with you, go over and visit your friends that are married, all just spending time together and building community is just so important. It makes you feel like a human person when you're not rushing around, um, you know, just trying to cram something in some calories and as if you're a, a moving machine instead of a human body that needs more than just calories. Um, so that was really huge for us in kind of reworking what we wanted our family life to look like as far as food and having people over and spending time with them. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing was realizing how, how much I'd been looking at my time as almost like time is money. Like each hour needs to be producing something or being super efficient so I can then produce something later. And instead saying like, no, that's really not how I should be looking at my time. That as a human person, spending time listening to a beautiful piece of music or taking a walk with my kids and just letting them go look at wildflowers and show me all the different kinds. These are the things that make me a human being. And these are the things that also point me towards God and the transcendent. So focusing on beauty and um, relationship and all of these things that have no like value in the throwaway culture, these are the things I need to be focusing my time on and not trying to revert back to this, well, I need to be producing, I need to be efficient mindset. Um, so those are just a few of the things that I feel like really changed for us as a family as we went through this experience. I like that. And so, so you sort of outlined simplicity, detaching from things and social, spending time with people and then reassessing the way you view your time and how you spend your time. And I think the last two to me make a lot of sense about how someone right now can start making those changes. But what would you say to a family that feels like they're stuck in a cycle of materialism, that they're, they're attached to their things and things, you know, I think what, one of the problems with materialism is it's very hard to detach yourselves from things. So how does a family practically do that? Are we talking about selling iPhones in exchange for dumb phones? Are we talking about you know, voluntarily going down to be a one car family? Are we talking about, you know, lightning, lightning wardrobes, you have less clothes to wear? Practically speaking, how does a family try to break the cycle of dependence or attachment to material things? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish there was like a good checklist that was just everybody yeah, look at this great. checklist and <laughs> this is what everybody should have. If you're this big of a family, you should have this many things. If you're this size of family, you should have this. Um, I think that what makes it so difficult is it's such a process of discernment. Um, like my family, for instance, we get by with one vehicle because my husband decided he's going to bike and run to work. We'll just have one vehicle and we make that work and it's fine. We've never had more than one vehicle. Um, but that could be totally impossible for another person, another family when there's um, different directions you have to go in because of work situation, more than one person has to have a vehicle. I think it's just one of those things where you have to sit down and say, okay, in this area, do we have what we need or do we have more than what we need? And I think it's really easy to tell ourselves that we need things that we don't actually need. Um, but I think it's beyond that. It's also having a spirit of generosity 
And so seeing like, what can I offer to other people in my community? What would be helpful to others? And what could I get rid of to then make space so that I could be more generous? Um, One thing that I think is really, really helpful if people are like, okay, I want to pare down on what possessions I have, for instance, like this is what I want to focus on and paring down, is to join a buy nothing group. There's chapters all over the country. We have some chapters in Waco. I'm sure there's chapters in Austin. It is like all over. So you can go to their just search by nothing group and they'll have a website with a list of um, all the places where they have chapters. There's probably one in your city. Um, And so what you do is you join this group. Usually it's on Facebook. So if you don't have Facebook, I'm sorry. I know Facebook is like for old people now. (laughs) I know it's so lame, but it's just, it's a, um, hyper local gift economy. So it's not bartering. It's not, um, selling at a cheap price. It's just gift. And so if you have an extra, whatever you post it in the buy nothing group and say, Hey, I've got an extra lawnmower or whatever. And then Anyone in the group can say, oh, hey, I needed a lawnmower. Mine just broke and come and pick it up or say your lawnmower just broke. You can write in the group, hey, my lawnmower just broke. Can I borrow someone's or does someone have an extra that they want to offload and get connected? So then you're getting connected with people in your community, which is cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And actually getting to meet up and introduce yourself and offering something that you had that you didn't need to someone who actually needs that item. Um, which just feels different from dropping everything off at Goodwill and not knowing if any of it was ever useful to anyone at all. Um, So like my baby just grew out of a bunch of clothes and we had a few baby things. And um, I thought, well, hey, let me see if anybody in the group needs them. And I was able to take them over to a new mom. And it's just really, it's a really neat way to see that um, these things that you've been holding on to that you don't need could have a home somewhere else with someone who actually is in need of that item. And I think it kind of motivates you in a different way to reassess what do I need and also makes you realize, hey, I'm part of a community that if my lawnmower breaks, I could borrow someone's. Like, I don't need to keep that extra lawnmower stored away just in case because, God forbid, I'd have to ask someone for help and borrow a lawnmower. And so I think that's a big shift as well, like being open to sometimes not having everything you need and having to ask your community to pitch in. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you made there at the end. Uh, I think we often associate having a lot with security and feeling secure as a family, feeling secure in our finances. If we have everything that we need or could possibly need anytime in the near or far future, then we'll be secure and we don't have to worry about our family. But even in that situation, things can go wrong. And, and I think that's a great practice to realize, to kind of just to let go and to realize, wow, I, my family's going to be okay, even if we don't have everything that we could possibly ever need. Right, exactly. Well, Haley, this has been a great conversation. We really appreciate you taking the time. Um, You're a busy woman and we really appreciate everything you've said in your book and we'll be directing people to, uh, to, to where they can find that on Amazon and let us know, let our listeners know where else they can find you mention. um, Yeah. Your podcast and your blog, especially. Sure. So um, my podcast that I co-host with my friend, Christy Isinger is called fountains of carrots. 
And the blog is carrotsformicklemas.com. And Micklemas is a weird word. I wish I hadn't called it that because I always have to <laughs> spell it for people. But it's spelled like Michael M-A-S. So Carrots for Micklemas. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Haley Carrots. Easy. That's great. Well, thank you so much. I'm by your side